Well, we're going to be continuing to think about that passage that Teresa read for us in, in 2 Peter. So if you have a Bible, keep open 2 Peter chapter 1. It's right at the end um, of the Bible, right at the end of the New Testament. If uh, you're struggling to find it, it may be best to start at the back and work backwards until you hit it. Um, 2 Peter chapter 1. When um, Liz and I, we, we had an opportunity to take the family away for a night to Cambridge. We like going to Cambridge, and so we, uh, we took the family there and had an opportunity to wander around some of the shops, and we found ourselves in an antique shop. And uh, most of the things that interest me in an antique shop are above my pay range, so I just leave them there and look and, and think, oh, you know, that's lovely for somebody else. But then um, while I was walking around, I overheard the man who was running the antique store say to one of the other customers that every year he sets himself 30 challenges. At the beginning of every year he sets himself 30 challenges and if he can get 15 of those challenges done in the year he is happy. He feels like he's done something. And I just thought what an interesting notion. It's not quite the same as a New Year's resolution when we vow to lose weight and then maybe do for a few weeks or vow to start a new reading plan and then we hit Leviticus or but a challenge a challenge to say how are we going to or what are we going to accomplish this this year and I thought it'd be interesting if we took a similar sort of approach to our own walk with the Lord and set ourselves challenges what are, how are we going to grow this year? What sins are we going to fight to get rid of? What godliness are we going to strive to take on? What habits am I going to try and cultivate in my own life? What challenges am I going to set for myself? I've, I've often thought this about Christianity. When I started doing judo, and then stopped doing judo, um, when I started doing judo, I realized that one thing that was so refreshing about it was you arrived, and they told you, these are the things that you need to do in order to get the next belt. You start at white, you move on to yellow, and so on and so forth. And every time you go, they'd say, right, these are the yellow belt things that you have to learn to do before you can have your yellow belt. And so you go away and you learn about those things at home and then you practice them at the judo club. And then when you're good enough and when you've mastered those things, you get your belt. And then they say, right, here are the next set of things that you need to do in order to get your orange belt. And so you go home and you read about them and you watch the videos and then you go to the thing and you practice them and then when you've mastered them, you get your orange belt. And then they say, right, here are the next things you need to know in order to get your green belt and so on and so on and so on. But I think sometimes, and I sometimes thought, wouldn't it be interesting to have a kind of belt system for Christian growth? I mean, it's a terrible idea for all sorts of reasons. But what I do think sometimes we do is we think, yes, God has given us everything that we need in his grace. And then we sort of adopt an attitude of, so I'll just sort of coast and wait for it to happen. And actually, I think it would be better 
as we'll see from this passage. Now, actually, we more deliberately, intentionally set about saying, what are the practices of godliness that I'm going to work on next? And to add to those things, and to focus on those things, and to seek to grow every year. In some way, New Year means nothing, but in some way, it is a very natural time for us to start thinking about this sort of thing, to get out of the rut that perhaps we've started to slip back into. So here's what 2 Peter um, chapter 1 will, will remind us of. This is Peter writing his last letter to the church. In some ways, it, it is, is packed full of the, the heavy-hitting knowledge that Peter knows this is his final word to the church. And so he is deliberately keeping to the things that he feels are most central to their health going forward without him. And so he says, his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. His divine power has given us everything that we need. This is the first point. This is the first thing we need to take away. We have been given everything that we need for a godly life by his divine power. I wonder if we need to be reminded of that. I wonder if that maybe last year, or the last couple of years, for reasons that are probably obvious to everyone, may have been harder and more discouraging to us than many years, than, than, than many other years that we've encountered in recent times. Maybe that we've tried and failed so often to grow in godliness that we've stopped believing that it is actually possible for us to grow nearer to the Lord. And to grow more like Christ. And we just lose the, the will and the energy. But Peter's reminding the church, you have everything you need. You can grow. You will grow. You will change. You will become more like Christ. You can do that. Everything that we need, his divine power. Notice that Peter doesn't just tell them that we have power. He also tells them how that power is accessed. How do we get that power? I'll read it to you again. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him who called us. It's through the knowledge of Him that we access our, this divine power. Look again at verse 2, just the verse above that. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of our Savior, Jesus, our Lord. You see that? It's through the knowledge of Christ. That's how grace and peace comes to us in abundance. It's through the knowledge of Christ that his divine power gives us everything that we need. Peter's going to hammer this theme home. All the way through this little letter, it's packed with through the knowledge of him. He couldn't make it clearer for us. For example, if you go to verse 9 of chapter 1. But whoever does not have them is short-sighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. It's forgetting the gospel as opposed to knowing the gospel that causes us to stagnate in the Christian life. It's the opposite. He's making the same point, but the other way around, negatively. Don't forget 
the knowledge that you've been cleansed of sins. If you forget that, you will stagnate. It's through the knowledge of it that you will grow. Again, if you skip ahead to chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I've written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and, by the, and the command given by our Lord and Savior through your apostles. You see that, Peter's intention? I want you to recall, I want you to remember, I want you to take hold of these words to stimulate your thinking because it is through this thinking, through this knowledge, through this recollection of the words of the prophets that you will grow. He ends the whole letter in chapter 3 by saying, 3 verse 18, but grow, grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord, of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. Grow. That's contrasted to, dear friends, since you've been forewarned, be on your guard so that you will not be carried away by the error of, lawless, of the lawless and fall from your secure position. Don't fall, grow. How do you grow? In the knowledge of him. Peter is at pains to, to highlight this. In the sections that we haven't read, the, the, the rest of the book is really arguing for this point. In the rest of chapter 1, Peter is talking, well, where do we get this knowledge from? And he says it's from the words of the prophets made more secure by the gospel, by the promises made through Jesus Christ himself. And then the whole of chapter 2 and the first part of chapter 3 is concerned with that we would pay attention to false teachers. Why, why does he highlight false teachers in his final word to the church? Well, because if true knowledge of Christ and true knowledge of the gospel is what we need to access the power of God, then what is the one thing that could sabotage that? False knowledge of Christ. False knowledge of the gospel. There's two dangers for us. The first danger is that we forget. We turn away from the knowledge of Christ. The second danger is that we start to follow false knowledge. A false Christ. A false gospel. This too will sabotage our relationship with the Lord and our growth in godliness. Godliness, which Peter, by the way, defines as participating in the divine nature. It's becoming more like, more godly, more like God, more like Christ. And escaping from the corruption of the world. The world, in its general disposition, in its general attitude, not everything about the world, but everything about the world is tainted by a general attitude that is corrupted by sin, corrupted by the desire to rebel against God as our King and Creator. And to become godly means to escape that corruption, to stop doing what the world says is okay, and do what God says is okay. In other words, worldliness is to call evil good and good evil. And to escape from that corruption is what it means to grow as a Christian. To become more like Christ is what it means to grow as a Christian. And Peter says we have everything that we need to do that. Liz and I have, during the Christmas break, been enjoying a BBC series called Around the World in 80 Days. Um, I know some of you may be watching it as well. Don't, I'm not very far into it, so don't tell me what happens if you have been watching it, and I'm not going to give away any spoilers, other than to say this, that at various points so far, there have been these crises that they've had in the journey. 
And it seems like they've lost everything. Everything that they need to complete the journey. And I wonder if maybe that as Christians, as a church, we can slip into that way of thinking. And through what we've done in the past, through perhaps the rut that we've got ourselves into, through the disappointment of trying and failing, that we've got ourselves into a position where we've lost everything that we need to complete the journey. But Peter reminds us again that that is not true. That we do have everything that we need to grow in godliness. And we need to put our faith in that promise. And it's through God's word that we will grow. It's why God's word, as it's preached to us in tangible means, as it's preached to us in verbal means, is so essential for us to grow. It's worth asking ourselves, how have we sought, what habits have we sought to put in place this year to enable God's word to give us access to that divine power? How have we planned to make God's word a regular part of our lives so that we do grow? Because God's word, whether it's God's word eaten, whether it's God's word sung, whether it's God's word proclaimed, are all means of God's grace to us. They provide grace to us by God's spirit so that we can grow. We have everything that we need. We have everything that we need so, says Peter, make every effort. This is the second point. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and goodness knowledge and so on. In other words, he's saying that the approach of the Christian life is not saying I've been given everything I need, so sit back, relax and watch it happen. No, the approach of the Christian says I've been given everything I need, so I will make every effort to employ the means of grace so that I may grow in the power of God. To become more like Christ. That's what the Christian says, says Peter. You've been given everything you need, make every effort. You've been given everything you need, so now what is the next belt that you need to achieve? Now it's a silly thing, in some ways everyone's a white belt in Christianity, in some ways everyone's a black belt in Christianity, it just depends what point you're trying to make. But each and every one of us should not rest on the laurels of what we've been given, but take that and seek to apply it and grow in it. And so Peter, he lists these things. Make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. Now some people think that there's a kind of progression here that goes from, right, first of all, start with faith. And then, once you've got faith sorted out, you add to your faith goodness, right? That's the yellow belt. Then once you move on from the yellow belt of goodness, you move on to the orange belts of knowledge. And once you add to knowledge and, then, and so on and so forth, and, and eventually you, you reach the sort of climax of love and then you've, you've essentially received your black belt or more correctly your fifth dan or seventh dan or something like that. But I don't think that's actually what's going on. Yeah. Because what he says is, if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, this will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive. So I think what Peter actually has in mind is, you want all of these things to be increasing all of the time. In other words, rather than moving from one thing to the next, 
You're keeping all of the irons in the fire and you're keeping them all hot. So we're keeping an eye not only on faith but also on our goodness. Not only on goodness but also on our knowledge. We're keeping an eye not only on our knowledge and our goodness and our faith but also on our self-control. And at various points in the year we're going to be distracted and need to be reminded Ah, these are areas of my life where I need to continue to focus and continue to repent and continue to believe. This is what we need to do as Christians, to continue to seek to grow. It's interesting that he says that if we have these qualities in increasing measure, we will not be ineffective and unproductive. Isn't that what we want as Christians? To be productive, to be effective in the Christian life? That's what we want, isn't it? To be productive for the Lord, to be effective for His kingdom. And Peter is saying, if you take the knowledge of Christ and you continue to grow in that knowledge through the means that He's made available to you, you will be kept from being unproductive and ineffective. But notice, it doesn't say that if you add these activities. I think so often we confuse activity for productivity in God's kingdom. Busyness for effectiveness. And some of us are at the stage in our lives where we just don't have the energy. To be honest, I've been feeling like that, like that for quite a while now. We just don't have the energy to take on more and more and more. To be more busy, more active, to run more programs or serve harder in, more, in different areas of the church and in the community. And some of us just don't feel like we have that energy. And we feel like that means we can't be productive in the kingdom. But Peter doesn't say that activity and busyness makes you effective and productive. He says character, godliness, makes you effective and productive. And character and godliness are things that everyone at every stage of life can continue to work at. Christ doesn't need powerful, busy, active people. He wants, desires Christ-like people. That is the fruit that he seeks. And maybe we need to remember that. The world, we often think that we're kind of on a, on a travelator. You know, those things at the airports, I think they're called travelators, where you, you know, if you're too lazy to walk, you can just get on it and it speeds you across Heathrow Airport. And we often think that as Christians, we're on the travelator. So if we just stop trying to grow, we'll just keep moving forward anyway. If we stand still, we'll just move. The reality is we are on the travelator, but it's not going the right direction. The travelator of worldliness is moving away from God. And we need to remember that. That whenever we stop and think, I'm, I'm done with trying to grow, I'm done with repenting, I'm done with putting my faith in Jesus, I'm done with trying to strive for godliness, that's when we start to move backwards at a rapid rate. We will be caught in the current of worldliness, the sin, the flesh, and the devil, unless we continue to fight in the opposite direction. So we have everything that we need, so we make every effort. Every effort. It's the discipline 
of grace. But finally, finally, and this is a huge theme in 2 Peter, it's something that he will make a lot of, is something that we have to have in order to keep fighting, in order to make every effort, we have to have the right perspective, and that is to keep our eyes fixed on eternity. We have to keep our eyes fixed on eternity. Look at, look at verse 10. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That is the goal. The rich welcome into that kingdom. Not the rich welcome that any king or kingdom of this world can offer. Not the rich welcome of any pleasure, of any sinful desire. But the rich welcome of God's kingdom and the welcome that we receive there. If we begin to think in terms of this world as being our home, and that we stop thinking of ourselves as pilgrims moving through this life to our home, then we are shooting ourselves in both feet. Because it will be much easier, much easier to seek to do the things of this world to make your happiness here and now. To continue to strive to seek our happiness, not in this life, but in the life to come, means that we have to keep growing in godliness. And to keep growing in godliness means that we have to forsake the, re the, the idea that this world is all that there is, that this world is our home, and this is where our happiness is to be found. We are looking for that kingdom. I once went to a play um, which was being put on by a church in South Africa. I don't really, I'm not really a play sort of person. I'm not really cultured enough for that kind of thing. Um, but I went along anyway because some friends of mine were going and they invited me and I even managed to get one or two non-Christians to go along to it. And the play was really all about the gospel. And I think it was okay. Um, I don't remember there being too many cringy moments, but I, I remember being particularly struck by one scene at the end where the gates of heaven opened and all of the arms of the heavenly host reached out and welcomed the sinner into the kingdom of heaven. And the way it was done, I thought was really good. It, it put the image in my mind, but it made me think, yes, I really want that. I really want that welcome. I really want to be received by my king into his kingdom to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Now let's be clear, we don't have to grow in godliness in order to earn our place in heaven. It's not that way around, it starts the other way around. Peter says you've been given access into the kingdom, so therefore make every effort. It's a bit counterintuitive to the world, but it's the way the gospel works. We don't make every effort to be saved, we have been saved and therefore we make every effort. But our making every effort is going to hinge a lot on that motivation. Whether or not we think that effort is worth making, if we don't think that the ultimate goal of our existence, the ultimate source of our happiness is His kingdom, then, in the, in the world to come, 
then there's no way we'll be able to make every effort in this life now. Remember the parable of the sower. Jesus says that the seed that falls along the thorns, and it grows, but then the concern for the things of this world, its cares, its pleasures, and its riches, distract us from the gospel. Unless we're looking beyond the cares and pleasures and riches of this world to the cares and pleasures and riches of the world to come, we will not be able to continue to make every effort. This is something also that we need by God's grace and by his power and through his word to be reminded that this world is not our home. We are pilgrims through this world on, on the way home in God's kingdom. And so let's pray together that God would give us the grace that we need through his word as we're preached, through the word as we participate in it in a moment, through the gospel proclaimed in bread and wine, through the gospel proclaimed in song, through the gospel proclaimed in prayer. Every time we access that word, we have access to his divine power. And let's pray that it would help us to strive for his kingdom first, to seek the kingdom first. And let's pray that it will help us to be equipped to make every effort to add to our faith. Let's pray. Our loving Father, we thank you so much that you have not left us here with a job to do and not given us what we need to do it. Thank you, our Father, that you have given us your word. And through that word, we have access to your power. And through that power, we are equipped for every good deed. And so, our Father, please help us to continue to grow, to add to our faith, to never to fall into the rut of thinking that we're okay or we could just rest or we don't have to worry about it anymore. Our Father, give us the energy to strive to receive that welcome into your kingdom. May that be our focus and our goal, the goal of our lives this year and every year, for as long as we draw breath. We ask in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Now we're going to move straight into the Lord's Supper together from one proclamation of the word to another. And as we do that, I'm going to ask, uh, going to say that we take a moment now to pause and the scriptures encourage us to examine ourselves. To examine ourselves not to see if we've been good enough, but to examine ourselves to see whether or not we have in fact placed our trust in Jesus our Lord in the knowledge of him. As we do this, let's pray that God would use this meal now by his spirit to help us to actively put our faith in Jesus, his body given, represented by the bread, and his blood shed, represented by the wine. To actively put our faith in him, and as we do that, through the knowledge of him, that we would be equipped with divine power to continue to grow in godliness and to grow in grace. Pray that for yourself now. And pray that for each other now as we prepare for the Lord's Supper. So let's, let's pray.
Let's stand together to give thanks for this meal. Our loving Father, we thank you again so much for equipping us not only with your written word, but for giving us this feast as an unspoken but tangible proclamation of your gospel. Thank you for the bread and how it reminds us of Jesus' body given for us. Thank you for the blood and how it reminds us of Jesus' blood, the wine and how it reminds us of Jesus' blood shed for us, for, our, for the forgiveness of our sins. And we pray. We give you thanks for this, and we pray use it now, please, by your Spirit, to help us not to be short-sighted, not to forget that we have been forgiven of our sins. We give you thanks and praise, and ask that you would use it to strengthen us, to continue to live all of our lives for your glory. In Jesus' name.